Welcome to another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, a retired portfolio manager, worked in the industry for about four decades. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster, did broadcasting for four decades. What do I know about finance? Fits in a thimble. But I've learned a lot from my friend, Mr. Hebert, over the years. And that's why we started doing Making Money, to try and share some of that knowledge with you and give you a foundation for investing and Financial literacy, as we are big, big proponents of that. We're going to talk about change equaling opportunity. And goodness gracious me, Ron, you and I were just talking about it off the air. The amount of change that's taking place right now, it's hard to keep up with. Is this a great opportunity? Well, I think it is a great opportunity. But the biggest obstacle people have is that uh, they fear change. And really, you need to be looking at change as not something you dread, but it's something that uh, gives you opportunity, something to invest in, something to make money in. You know, the old saying is we didn't leave the Stone Age because we ran out of stones. Yeah. We left the Stone Age because we developed something better to replace it. And I don't know about you, but as I age, I find that my flex, my ability to be flexible, I have to work at it a lot harder to be flexible than I used to because you get set in your ways. I know when I was young, my parents told me that, well, when you get older, you're going to get set in your ways. And I'm going, no, nah, no, nah, this generation, that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, guess what? It's happening. <laughs> okay. So what things are going to change? Uh, globalization has been front and center since I'm thinking back as an example, when we signed the free trade agreement with, with the United States and Mexico, that was a small nibble at globalization, wasn't it? Yeah. And you know, globalization really got its launch with the collapse of the Iron Curtain. And all of a sudden, more and more countries developed uh, liberal democracies. And that became the golden age for capitalism, global trade, and investing. And of course, the United States, which was the most powerful nation on earth, both financially and militarily, controlled and enforced what we call a rules-based economic system. In other words, Everybody had to play by one set of rules. International trade flourished, and for the most part, nations saw steady and predictable growth during that period. Now, investors have experienced three decades of global calm, and most people haven't realized that that is all changing, and what a rarity through history that's been. Nowadays, we've got the Russia-China axis, which is forming, and there's rogue states that have attached themselves to it, like North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela, and Iran. And we're getting a polarization. You're either having the communist countries that, that flow to that, are attracted to the China-Russia axis, or you have those countries that still uh, want to base themselves on the old rules-based system, like Western Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Canada are, are just some big examples. So what's the strategy here? Well, this change that we're seeing is we're going to enter a polarized world where blocks are going to realign themselves. So the, the communist blocks, as I, as I would put them, or the, the Russia-China block, uh, they represent higher risk. And those countries are going to form trade alliances with one another. And you're going to find the Western world is going to rejig. So we're going to see more and more of our trading done within the Western Bloc. So you want to invest in companies that are doing more of their business domestically and with trusted trading partners. So you want to be very careful investing in, in companies that get uh, a, a big block of their, their trading 
revenue or have a big block of assets in, for example, Russia or China or any of these other places, and you don't think the West does? Well, take a look at the big companies like Exxon and Shell and BP. BP is going to take a write-down of, of somewhere around $25 billion because they're just walking away from the Russian assets. And that's going to have a big hurt on their share price. So you need to be uh, pay particular attention to where those companies that you're in, investing in, where they're getting a good part of the revenue. And you want to try and make sure it's aligned in Western blocks because if we have more embargoes, if we have more uh, trade disruptions, these are the companies that are going to get hurt. Okay, let's talk about government balance sheets. That's, that's almost oxymoronic these days. Um, we've, we've spent so much money this last two and a half years. It's just staggering. We've blown our financial brains out literally doing two things, is locking down everything all the time and then trying to spend our way out of the problem by subsidizing virtually everything and everyone that moves. And, of course, this has led to inflation. This has led to rising interest rates. This is also going to lead to governments having less flexibility in the future to manage this because their cash is tied up making higher debt service payments. You know, we've talked about that this for the last three years we've been doing these podcasts, Court, that where this was going, because this is where it's always gone in history. And people that think it's different this time, it's never different this time. And so, you know, we're just seeing the outcome of governments literally that have, have tripled their money supplies in the last 10 or 12 years. And, and, you know, they seem to be shocked now that they're getting inflation, they're getting rising interest rates, they're getting instability, they're getting governments having to pay a lot more money uh, to make higher debt service payments. And, and you know, this was all expected because this is how it turns out. We were. I was just reading a thing the other day about you know Canada's debt service costs are about two and a half billion dollars a month or something. I think it is. It's uh, you know that's thirty billion dollars a year, and it's expected to go to seventy billion by twenty thirty. Yeah, and it's going to go to seventy billion because, frankly, uh, one of the things the government's done is the government hasn't really invested in uh, put out a long term bonds. They they put a lot of their money short term. And, of course, as short-term interest rates rise very, very quickly, um, those short-term money that they keep rolling over, those interest costs are rising dramatically rather than when interest rates were low. I mean, if you were a business and rates were at 100-year lows, you wouldn't roll your money over in debt at 30, 60, and 90 days. You know, if you've got a, a mortgage you want to pay off in 25 years, you try to lock in that debt for as long as you can at yeah. low rates because then you have some kind of certainty. Well, governments really haven't uh, uh, used a lot of common sense here. And, uh, and of course, uh, what this is going to lead to is we're going to have more volatility in, in future inflation and interest rates. And so uh, you need to add hard assets to your portfolio. In other words, we're talking about um, things like precious metals. We're talking about companies that produce things like real estate, uh, produce things like copper, ag companies. Those are the companies that generally do quite well when you're waiting for inflation to peak and inflation and interest rates are on the rise. Now, for your fixed income portfolio, you want to wait for rates to peak before locking into the longer term. 
And, of course, they're talking that we might see seven and maybe even as many as 10 quarter point increases. And that would put uh, especially good quality corporate bonds, that would push them up into the 5 and 6% range. And if you can start locking in at those rates with a good ETF or buying some individual bonds, that'll be the time to do it or even some good quality preferreds. So if you've got fixed income right now, just wait. You know, with uh, if we get uh, the the kind of increases that they're talking about, rates are expected to peak sometime next year, and that's the time you want to do the locking in. Are we, uh, I don't know if we're, are we in another Cold War right now? <laughs> I don't know if they were well, the left the last one, really, but <laughs> yeah, you know. And I guess the the other question, Gord, is this a Cold War? Or are we now starting to hear about hot wars all over the place? Well, yeah, that too, right? Yeah. And so China and Russia, uh, you know, they were the vanquished Cold War countries. And they've turned into be very capable competitors. And now, of course, you've got the Russian-Ukrainian war, which has highlighted how vulnerable our supply chains are. And you have China with uh, has taken over Hong Kong. It's got eyes on Taiwan. And certainly you've got other countries in the Middle East uh, where, you know, Saudi Arabia and Yemen, Iran with uh, their, their revolutionary guards all over the place causing trouble. You know, are we going to see more wars? Well, I think there's a good possibility. And if we do, supply chains are going to be messed up. And, you know, Russia, for example, is a huge exporter of wheat, steel, platinum, palladium, coal, oil, natural gas, fertilizer, nickel, aluminum, seed oils, and, the, and it goes on and on. And if these countries get isolated for years because of embargoes, supply chains are going to get disrupted and prices are going to go up. And so uh, you need to have a strategy where you buy commodity stocks, the things that are getting and in things that are getting embargoed and supply chains that are getting disrupted. You know, I, and I and I wonder about China. You know, I'm, I'm following what's been happening with their lockdown situation and and the the populace running out of food and getting very edgy. They've got some issues over there. <laughs> I don't know how that's all going to wash out. Well, one of the advantages of democracies it gives you flexibility, and uh, certainly uh, we have flexibility. We can debate things, and it it puts a, a uh, puts a lid on. Uh, disruption, uh, when you can solve things that get a, more of a consensus, when you have an iron hand that just makes things happen from the top, and you literally shut down a city like Shanghai, which has a population that would be about half the population of Canada, and you don't even allow them to leave their house, um, you, you know, uh, that not only leads to uh, getting people upset, but it also makes it very, very difficult to run an economy when you don't have that uh, flexibility and everything has iron girders and there's no flexibility in the system at all. So our strategy here is, is to maybe invest in companies that service a domestic market, right? Yeah. So you want to invest in companies that uh, serve you the domestic market. And, you know, you certainly want to buy anything that you think is getting embargoed. Those are some of the best stocks to be looking at commodity stocks for example especially agriculture um you know you look at at russia you look at uh, ukraine and if russia rolls across ukraine it's going to it's going to mess up their infrastructure for a very very long period of time russia's not going to be able to export things for a long period of time because frankly um 
you know, even if they don't take over all of Ukraine, uh, there's a, a high certainty that they'll, they'll be able to take over the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine and make it have, have a quickie vote like they did uh, uh, in a number of other situations where they, they rolled in, like in Crimea, have a quick vote and annex them. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if Russia is uh, isolated for years, these commodities could remain high for not just a short period of time, but for a long period of time. Because the West is not going to back down if Russia stays in, in Donbass. They're going to keep the pressure up, which uh, means that uh, these commodity stocks could stay high and supply chains are going to change. So you want to make sure that you're investing in companies that can get enough of their products from secure supply chains so that they can continue to grow. Okay, what about medicine in all of this? Is there opportunity there? Well, you know, you look at gene splicing, robotic-assisted surgery, growing organs on artificial limbs. I think the strategy here is to buy the companies that acquire the technologies and not those that invest in it. The good small companies are usually picked over by the big guys long before they go public. And if you're a big pharmaceutical company, you have a team of some of the best scientists in the world and all they do is analyze technology. I mean, they're far better at it than you and I will ever be. So if you want to buy an incubator of all these great new companies that are coming on stream and creating a literal revolution in medicine, buy the bigger companies that acquire the technology and and cherry-pick the best small ones because that's going to give them the drivers for their own growth. Energy. Boy, that this one is... Uh... Well, we've talked this, we've almost beat this into the ground. Like, this one is so wide open right now. Like, How do you determine what to do here? Where's the opportunity? Well, once again, I don't know who the winners are, and that's why if you get a chance and you just this is your first time tuning in, you might go back to last week's show where we talked about substitution trades. So anytime you're not sure who the specific winner is going to be, buy a company that services all the major players in the sector and in the electric vehicle sector companies that produce lithium copper nickel cobalt graphite rare earth metals and the list goes on and on all these ev companies need all these products so uh whether you turn out to be a winner or a loser um these products are going to get consumed, and so you don't have to bother picking a winner or a loser. Just like the example you gave on last show, um, that in Dawson uh, City, you're far better off providing the shovels and the picks. Those are the guys that got rich, rather than the guys that went out and got a claim and tried to find gold. Digital currency. We've talked about this. It, it, it just, it's, just seems to be leaps and bounds almost right now, Ron. Yeah, and you know, uh, paper money is moving into history, and you want to make sure that the financial institutions you are dealing with are making the transition. And this is one to watch very quick, uh, very carefully over the next few years. The competition with PayPal and Square and Apple Wallet; uh, these are going to these are turning out to be major competitors to the big banks. And so you need to be watching how digital currency develops, and you need financial institutions that you're investing in to be nimble enough to be able to make that transition. So are the Canadian banks still a safe place to be playing? 
I think Canadian banks, their biggest risk right now, I think, is the mortgage market. Yeah. And if we see interest rates go up um, and housing flatten out or, or drop, you know, um, Canadian banks have big exposure to this. And if we see a real estate meltdown, which I hope there isn't going to be, but, you know, often when you have rising rates and rising inflation, uh, you know, these are one of the carcasses that gets left on the side of the road. So you want to be careful owning banks here, I think. Digital finance, blockchain, a lot of talk about that. I don't think many people really understand it. but uh. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's basically a digital ledger where everything that changes hands is, is tracked. And investors and consumers are going to be able to look at uh, products and just scan their QR code. Uh, that's that barcode on the side, and you'll be able to tell uh, where a product is made, the kind of factories it produces, whether these factories are compliant with uh, the environmental and social and government's mandates, and um, companies that are are going to be able to grow, and companies that aren't ESG compliant uh, will be locked out of the capital markets and not be able to grow. So digital finance is going to be able to enable the consumer to determine the kind of companies uh, and what kind of footprint uh, they want to have. And you want to be on the right side of that. So digital finance is changing everything about transparency. Shared an article with you here a couple of months ago about, about ESG compliance and stuff. And uh, it was fascinating that some of the investments that were being made were, were less than sterling and not following the rules. And I think your comment back to me was it's amazing how greed trumps common sense, right? Yeah, and that, uh, and certainly ESG sectors, I think, have a long way to go before uh, they have a harmonized set of rules. I mean, uh, Russian oil stocks are ESG compliant and Canadian ones aren't. Give me a break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just, it is head shakers. So defense, opportunities there. Well, yeah, as we say, there could be hot wars now, right? And not just cold yeah. wars, yeah. Hypersonic missiles, laser weapons. Uh, all kinds of, of uh, Buck Rogers types of inventions you never thought of before. And Cold Wars are usually very, very good uh, for defense stocks. Everybody gets scared. They arm up. And when they do, the defense stocks make money. Okay, so what actions do we need to take here? Again, we, we want to look at companies that, you know, if you can find something that's a monopoly, you're in pretty good shape there. Yeah, and has a long-term advantage uh, that are immune to technological obsolescence, and are at least at the uh, at the, toward the head of the technology curve. If they're if they're exposed to technology, then what you want to do is you want to make sure that uh, they're keeping up with the technology; they're not falling further and further behind. So you want to add to those companies. You want to reduce or eliminate companies that are on the cusp of becoming obsolete. Uh, for environmental, social, political, or technological change. And you want to add to your companies that are strategic enough they see the future. You know, for a good example is Thomson Reuters. Of course, Thomson Reuters used to be known. Uh, Newspaper they company. Had a, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I got Thomson newspapers on my desk every morning for 30 years. You know, the old broadsheet. Well, yep. Thomson got smart, and they got out of paper, and they got into digital. And that has allowed this company to continue to grow. So you want to find companies that if they figure out that they're facing a technological wall, 
or their business prospects in the future are looking slim, uh, they're able to make the transition. And if you're able to do that in your portfolio, and, you know, like I say, as we get older, that gets tougher for us. But, you know, you've got to look ahead and you've got to keep pruning your portfolio and making sure that the companies that you have represent the future and you want to get reduce or get rid of the companies that are tied to the past. So there you go. Change and opportunity. Something to consider in your investment strategy. Have a question for the financial coach? Send it to us. Let's make money.ca our website or through cfcw.com and we'll be happy to handle it. Uh, or if you have a show suggestion, some area of investing that we haven't touched, I don't know what that would be, Ron. We've covered a lot of turf in the last three years, but we keep coming up with stuff. So, <laughs> uh, And we welcome the input from our listeners, correct? Totally. All and right. uh, we, love, we love your questions, your comments. And many of the shows that, uh, that we're doing, we're doing a show next week, uh, Robotics and AI. That uh, was the springboard for that was a listener question. Uh, the Rip Van Winkle portfolio was the springboard of a listener's suggestion. Insurance stocks were a springboard of uh, um, a listener's suggestion. So, you know, we take this stuff, and generally, you know, I'm working on shows three, four, five, six, eight, ten, twelve, eighteen weeks ahead. So, when Gordon and I are working on a show, if you give us something to add to the list, it's probably not going to be next week that we get it on. It could be a month or even two months down the road because it takes a lot of work to elbow grease for us to produce these shows. So you've got to give us a, a little bit of time to do our homework so that when we come out with a good quality show, we've got our facts right and we've got good information that investors can use. So if you're sending us an idea for a show, please be patient. Uh, we take them very seriously. We'd love to get them on. It's just it takes us a little time to generate the research and the ideas uh, before we think they were high enough quality uh, to present them to you. There you go. Good explanation there, my friend. We're back next week, as we say, to look at robotics and uh, what that all means. It's uh, a changing world with artificial intelligence. Hope you can join us on another edition of Making Money. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll talk to you next week. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.